my my main concern right now is what's going to happen to us. We can make do if need be, but this is where we were able to make do. And to find out eight months after you move in that you gotta relocate, but not being told when, where, how, who, anything is real confusing. This is Byline, a podcast about the times in Northwest Indiana's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk. I'm Andrew Jones. And this week, we're doing something a little different. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Hey. Hi, I'm, I, I know Ebony. <laughs> yeah, but she's in the interview right now. Sure, sure. I'm, can you let her know Lauren's sure. here? Hey, Lauren. Hey, how you doing? That's Good. Ebony Clarich. Yeah, just give me like two more minutes. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. No problem. Which is just enough time to tell you what's about to happen. Today's story takes place in the West Calumet housing complex of East Chicago, a setting where the presence of dangerously high levels of lead and arsenic in the soil have prompted city and federal officials to get all residents relocated. Some of the residents have thrown the word Flint around, which references the city in Michigan dealing with lead-contaminated water, and which shares a few similarities to the string of events in East Chicago. This is a larger and ongoing topic. So it will not only be told today, but next week as well, in a two-part documentation of a situation that's unfolded for the worst, where worry, uncertainty, and frustration linger about. A lot of this episode is based around questions that everyone is asking right now, where the answers are hard to find or understand. And these are questions about something that goes back decades. What we need you to understand is that we are not here to give answers. We have a lot of questions, too. We've talked to residents of this housing complex, reporters, pastors, doctors, and advocates for justice. We've looked at timelines and articles that are two decades old. The reporters on this story have been reading through stacks of information, trying to get to the bottom of this situation. You know what they told us? My job is to tell the truth, and you try to get the truth, then that helps the community know what really happened and dispel any rumors that might be out there. But in this case, it is a little different because there's so many questions, um, and it's it's not not just a matter of, of what's the truth and what's a rumor. It's just that people want more information. This situation is so convoluted, so confusing, so full of unanswered questions, that the truth is really blurry right now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some facts. We're going to help tell some stories. We're going to let you listen to multiple views on this whole thing. And then we're going to have to tell you to stay tuned. Because here's the thing. This story is just the beginning. And it's not going to be over for a very long time. One more thing before we get into the meat of the West Calumet Housing Complex story. Just consider this. This is a newspaper story. That means it's a story the newspaper is telling, right? And if there's one truth we're sure of in this situation, it's that the Times of Northwest Indiana isn't just telling this story. It's become an important part of it. Hey, how's it going? Come on. Hey, Laura. Once again, this is Ebony. 
September 4th. And she's but expecting a boy next month. And he's ready, so... Ebony is in Zone 1 of an Environmental Protection Agency Superfund site, which is an area designated by the agency for long-term cleanup. It's been a site since 2009, and it's not just this housing complex, but it's an area that encompasses around 400 acres. East Chicago was, and still is, a community surrounded by industry. In this particular area, there were copper and lead smelters and a lead refinery in the early part of the 20th century. The West Calumet complex started being built in the 1960s. But even though the old smelters had been torn down, what was left behind didn't leave with it. I got a tip from a resident that the level of lead in the soil at West Calumet was much higher than previously expected. This is Sarah Reese, and she's one of the reporters working on this story. And that the mayor had sent a letter to residents advising them that it would be in their best interest to temporarily relocate. Key words there being higher than expected, because this actually goes back a few years. In 2003 and 2006, the EPA took a total of 97 samples of residential properties in this site. What it found was high lead levels in the soil. The state of Indiana referred that the area be added to the EPA's national priorities list, and the Superfund site was established in 2009. There's three zones, but the one we're focusing on is Zone 1, which includes the West Calumet Complex and a school, Cary Gosh Elementary. But the thing is, none of those 97 samples were taken in the complex. They were all elsewhere outside of it. It wasn't even until 2009 that the EPA sampled some properties in the complex and cleaned five of them in 2011. Then it proposed a cleanup plan in 2012 to remove contaminated topsoil and helped reach an agreement in 2014 along with other federal officials to have Atlantic Richfield and DuPont pay for some of the cleanup. But in that same year, the EPA took more soil samples inside the complex. And according to the city, it didn't know what the samples were saying. And the city says that um, EPA came in and began doing extensive sampling of the soil in West Calumet in late 2014 and 2015. The city says that over time it made repeated requests in meetings with the EPA in Chicago for the results of those tests, but did not receive them until May 24th. So according to the city's timeline, they got the results on May 24th and realized how serious the problem is, even though it's been studied for so many years. Okay, got the letter here. Look and read a few of the highlights. So Mayor Copeland starts out by saying, Dear resident, your health and safety are always my first priority. And the city and the East Chicago Housing Authority were informed by the EPA that the ground within the West Calumet Housing Complex was highly contaminated. We moved immediately to protect your safety, health, and welfare. And it goes on and says, identification of lead and arsenic is why he ordered the health department to offer lead testing to you and your children. So now that we know the levels in the grounds, we feel it is in your best interest to temporarily relocate your household to safer conditions. So ECHA, well that's the housing authority, is asking HUD, and that's the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, to provide vouchers for safe, sanitary housing as soon as possible. And he also says, even though this may be a great inconvenience to you, it's necessary to protect you and your children from possible harm. We ask for your patience and cooperation in this process. Sincerely, Anthony Copeland. 
So let's go back to Ebony. Uh, she was moved in uh, November 2015. And this is Lauren Cross. She's the other reporter working with Sarah. EPA tested the soil levels in 2014, and she was allowed to move in between that time period. So I think her frustration is, why wasn't I told? The EPA's results showed some rather alarming things. Almost all the properties in the complex had contaminated soil. And this lead contamination is measured using parts per million, which means one millionth of a gram per gram of a sample. The EPA has a standard for time-critical removal actions, which is 1,200 parts per million. So as you can imagine, many of these homes were at or above that standard. But the alarming thing is, some had some amounts that really skyrocketed. Ebony's was the highest, at a little over 90,000 parts per million. Nobody's actually need to be living here. This house never should have been rented, but it was. I take it as a blessing because I needed it. But if it's that bad, why has nothing started getting done yet? The only thing that's been done thus far is dirt flipped and mulch put down. EPA trailers put up and letters been sent out to tenants. An apology from the mayor and don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it. Like, you know, and we got those letters over three weeks ago. My, my main concern right now is what's going to happen to us. I'm not putting myself on a high horse, but I have a working husband, you know, and we can make do if need be, but this is where we were able to make do if need be. And to find out eight months after you move in, eight months into a pregnancy, seven days outside of school starting, that you've got to relocate but not being told when, where, how, who, anything is real confusing. Home is thought of as a place for security and comfort. And it's probably not the typical thing for one to wonder if the soil on your desired property is terribly contaminated. So, as Ebony points out, the whole idea is taking its toll on residents. The only thing that my main concern is, is I worry for the older tenants because they, this... It's been going on. You know, it's tenants that had children that tested positive two years ago, and they're just finding out. These are the people that I feel for. Um, you're, seeing, you're seeing older people at the mailbox with tears in their eyes. It's, we still have to go on. You know, these kids still have to go on with lead in their system. These parents still have to deal with this. And then an odd thing happened in our interview. So Lauren asked this. You're here now, and you have the highest lead levels. Have you had a sense that they're prioritizing you and your home? I've not been told that by anyone but you and CBS. I was handed a paper. Housing hasn't told me anything, and the EPA, they they didn't even confirm it right now. They said, well, I don't know where they got that information from. At least according to Ebony, it was news sources including the Times, that informed her about all of this first. Not even the on-site EPA workers had told her. And according to Lauren, Ebony isn't the only one that's been looking to her for possible answers in this hodgepodge of hearsay. People want to talk to you uh, and and find out what do we know, what do they know. um, And you really start to just listen to their stories and how long they've been there and how 
like I said, frustrated and confused there. And, you know, you don't want to just walk away from that quickly. So I think that um, is part of it, just kind of listening to their concerns and kind of piecing everything together from there. The residents at West Calumet have been hit with a dire situation they didn't anticipate. So they're looking for the answers from whoever they can ask. And when it's the newspaper, it certainly brings into question our role as reporters. What we do and what we could do to fill in the gaps for those in the dark. Following the situation for Lauren means making frequent visits to the complex and keeping a steady perspective on the situation by asking people their reactions to all the craziness around them as it happens. Um, but is your mom around? Maybe she can talk? Mom, right like Kale said in the beginning, we're going to cover this story in two episodes. There's so much here, and we can hardly do it justice in one half an hour segment. In that next episode, we will literally walk through the complex with Lauren, and we will tell you the story of what happened in three short hours that we spent together on site talking to residents and observing the situation as it evolved in front of our eyes. But I want to introduce you to another person that we met that day first. We also met a woman named Markeith Williams. Hey there. Hello. Hey there, Mom. How you we interrupted Marquis's dinner uh, on a hot evening uh, with questions about how she was coping Hi. with the situation. Marquis has six kids. So you have two girls and a boy? Actually, I have four girls okay. and two boys. Who we met outside. And like any mom with kids in this complex, she's concerned. But she's also not really sure what exactly is happening. Lauren kneels by the couch Marquise reclined on, asking an arsenal of questions she's asked many other residents. Okay, so have you gotten a letter from the EPA explaining test results? Now see if there is mulch outside your house. Did they stop by and when did they stop by? And when you say you already knew that, what did you know? Have they gotten the results back? Now, do you like it here? Do you guys like living here? Do you know if they're helping you with housing, uh, moving costs? As I listened to Lauren's questions, I wondered if they were some of the same that are burning in the minds of these residents. As she answered Lauren, Markeith seemed reticent to speak quickly. Unlike Ebony, she wasn't up front with her opinion on the whole situation until Lauren kind of pressed a little further, asking a question about the kids' school situation. So can you talk to me too? Do your children go to Carrie Bash? Mm-hmm. Have you heard recently of the school board vote to relocate them? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Um, it's an inconvenience to me because they can just walk up to school. If any problem, I can just walk up to the school. You know, it's just an inconvenience. I think the concern was that Carrie Gash is on a potentially contaminated soil site. Yes, and they're having a garden. They have a garden. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm honestly the they school. The school is on the same land that this property is on, so if if we got if the kids have lead, they have it already. You know, kids play, they touch the ground, they touch the dirt, they come in, touch the doorknob, they walk in it, they walk the shoes across the floor. Now, did you get a letter from the mayor uh, in July asking? But even then, she doesn't seem upset or worried. To Markeith, the situation is a concern, but not a crisis. 
Markeith lives on the east end of the complex, relatively far from the high lead levels on the southwestern end where Ebenezer sits on the soil that tests at frighteningly high levels. Maybe the concern isn't that worrying, but when we talked to Markeith, she hadn't gotten the results from her kids' blood tests either. When I asked the ladies that did the test, they said it could be anywhere from three to six weeks, which I didn't understand that because... In six weeks, we may not even be here. So So she's aware of the potential harm. There's the telltale mulch out in the front yard. Everywhere in the neighborhood, kids are outside on the lawn enjoying summer like kids should. But there's this layer of suspicion lying over everything like a thick mist. Even though Marquise doesn't seem as concerned as other residents, she's definitely taking precautions. I try to keep my floors clean. Like, recently, the kids start walking on the rug, but really, they're supposed to take their shoes off at the door. We're not supposed to walk shoes through the house. I mop every day, so stuff like that. And no flowers grow. That's actually how I knew it first, but then I went and did some reading about it. I Googled some things because no flowers would grow in the grass. Um, The dirt is not dirt, actually. It's clay. So it killed a lot of flowers when I was trying to put flowers out. I mean, there's this question about who's going to pay the health bills. If people have um, lead poisoning and they need treatment for it, um, who's going to pay? Is it going to be them? Are they going to have to bear the burden? Or is there going to be funding from somewhere else that's going to try to come in and help people pay for these things? One has to wonder whether these questions that Sarah talked to us about are floating around in Marquis's head right now. Maybe. But the truth is, these people aren't defined by the chaos they found themselves in. They're just people trying to live their lives, go about their jobs, raise their families. They want to be normal. But you can't be normal when there's a threat right under your feet. You can't be normal when you know that whether it's five months away or five years, your home is going to be destroyed. It needs to be destroyed. Markeith didn't talk about who was responsible for all this, something that other concerned parties are doing. There's been a tort claim filed, and and Correct. and so there is some pointing fingers. I mean, there's people threatening to sue the city now for the for not. They're saying that the housing authority didn't notify them of the danger in the soil when they moved in. Sarah and Lauren had a piece out this Friday that uh, says. Uh, quote, a Maryville-based attorney said Tuesday he put East Chicago, its housing authority, and its health department on notice that he intends to file a lawsuit on behalf of four children and their mother, who once lived at a public housing complex where the soil is highly contaminated with lead and arsenic. State law requires a tort claim notice to be filed before suing a government agency, unquote. Uh, Basically, people are saying that the city should have said something about this problem, a long time ago. Markeith and her neighbors are not the first to hear about this hanging cloud. Insinuations of something dangerous in the area have been around for a long time. I wonder how long there have been people like Markeith who on and off wondered whether they should mop the floor a little more thoroughly next time or caution the kids to stop digging in the exposed dirt by the house's edge. Maybe the information that people before Markeith had just wasn't that alarming. But maybe, as Lauren and Sarah's reporting is beginning to show, it should have been. 
On August 3rd, the East Chicago Housing Authority held a meeting at the 151st Street Recreational Center. The meeting was packed with residents, friends and relatives, and news media. Representatives from the Housing Authority, the Region 5 EPA personnel, and the mayor were all there. And so I want to reiterate what the mayor said. This is all about protecting you and your children. Um, once we found out about this issue, we came up with a plan to try to address it. And that plan has changed now. And in the interim, we have also come out and put down the mold. And we will continue to work with the and the city to try to help protect you all. And it's a government entity, okay, to do also. This one-time allotment of 336 vouchers at one time is unprecedented. And all of these things, all of these indicators point to the seriousness of the environment that you and your children is in. And again, I tell everybody, we're going to keep our eye on the prisoners. And the prize is that we remove our sons and daughters, our children, our future out of this environment. So I want to know, what are you all planning to do, as she said, for the adults or the, the ongoing physical? I mean, what are you going to do for the kids going on that have led the adults and like me that are going through the cancer, the chemo, radiation, things like that? I mean, it's, it's because of the lead. And you're continuously asking us to live under these situations, under these conditions, and have it. And I think that's fair. You know, they had meetings in 2006, they had meetings in 2012, the residents all attended, but there wasn't this really, this groundswell of, of protest about it. And, and perhaps it was because they didn't realize how much contamination there was. Our ambition with this podcast is, is to give you a small glimpse into the world of one local newspaper and, and its reporters. These two episodes, the one this week and the one next week, are a good opportunity to do that. And perhaps, and I don't know about this, but perhaps one of the best we'll ever have. Here's why. When we talk to Sarah and Lauren about everything that's happening right now, all the drama and the suspicion and the intrigue and the confusion, we also ended up talking about their role in this story, as we usually do with reporters on this podcast. You probably know, as well as we do, that reporters really aren't supposed to get involved in their story. We talked about that a little bit in our first episode, and we touched on it a little bit when we talked to Damien last week. This week, though, Sarah said something that really caught me off guard. That our role has become a little bit more of of helping people become aware and, and, and leading them to where they can find all these things. Which particular sentence? What she just said, which is, is that it's important for us to, as reporters, to, I guess, help them have this information. And you even said that yesterday, okay. as you were, we were talking, you're like, can I help, can I send you more information? Right. You know, if, as you know, I which is, yeah, which was surprising to me. It's like, wow, you guys are utilizing this reporting job as, as something, this particular story as something where you can help these residents out in it, as well as just report the facts. It, if I could play devil's advocate for a moment, it's not your job. I think it is to, to inform residents, regardless of medium, if it's the print newspaper or talking to them, you know, on their doorstep. And I think it's the same, same idea. I was totally wrong. And after I listened back to myself, I realized that. I thought that there was a, a line between helping 
and informing. But to these reporters, there was no distinction. Sarah explained their role in the story like this. Yeah, I mean, it's our job to inform the people, and I think, you know, the, at least for me, the core value as, as a journalist is, is that I want to serve a greater good. I, I want to help people somehow, and, you know, maybe it's not on an individual level, but I definitely want to make sure that people have the information they need to make educated decisions. Um, and as far as our role here, I mean, I think that keeping it in the news all the time uh, is helping to, to, to kind of spark people's interest in learning more and, and then, you know, providing them with the link to where they can go find all these records and read them. Um, and not only that, I mean, you, it, you know, again, you said residents are not going to go to the library, likely. It, it's not something they would do normally is look through thousand, a, a thousand pages, your job is to kind of look at those yourself and maybe filter that information out appropriately so they can understand what the situation is. I, right. um, I think our role is to keep this issue in the news, not allow it to, you know, fall off um, within a week. You know, this is something that's going to be around forever. And I think I said this to you yesterday, what happens after these residents leave, you know, the West Calumet housing complex? Right. And, and how is how are these individuals going to be tracked? You know, the, the blood levels of the, of the children and, and the long-term side effects of lead exposure. So um, really, I think, I think that's part of it too, is like, it's not only a matter of covering it, but how long should we stay on this story and keep it in the public's eye? Lauren and Sarah work the crime and justice beat at the NWI Times. Despite the stacks of paper and the keeping up with meetings and the relationships they're developing on the scene of this strange and confusing story, they're also keeping up with the breaking news of the area. Until their editor takes them off it, they'll be telling this story of the West Calumet housing complex. After we turned off our tape, Lauren laughed and said she'd started to have dreams about the case. Sarah nodded. She said the story wakes her up at three in the morning at which point she lies there, arranging the puzzle pieces in her head, wondering when they'll see blood-lead-level reports, thinking about when the vouchers will be released and when the demolition will start. But what keeps Sarah up is the same thing keeping everyone involved in this situation up. It's a simple question planted dead in the middle of a situation that's so complex, we just can't answer it yet. What is going on here? What's the truth? Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. New episodes come out on Mondays every Monday. As we said earlier, part two of this story will premiere a week from the Monday that this one is released. You can follow Byline on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If you just search uh, NWI Byline, all one word, we probably will pop up. And you can also download the latest episodes onto your media player of choice. You can do so on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. We also appreciate constructive comments and feedback, whether that's on Facebook or through email. And we do have an email address that's nwibyline, all one word, at gmail.com. Email us at any time. Tweet at us on Twitter. Leave a comment on Facebook. We would love to have a conversation with you about the interesting stories we've been working on in the past month. Reporting for this episode came from Sarah Reese and Lauren Cross, as well as Andrew Jones and myself. 
Sarah and Lauren will continue their coverage so you can follow along with their articles and social media profiles for all the latest. We'll be sure to share their work as well. Data and information for this episode came from the Environmental Protection Agency, the City of East Chicago, the East Chicago Housing Authority, and the U.S. Department for Housing and Urban Development. Thanks to the show's creator, Summer Moore, the Times Digital and Audience Engagement Editor, who is our conductor for all things that go into the production of this show. I'm Kale Wilk. I'm Andrew Jones. And from both of us here in Northwest Indiana, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>